0: This morning we have part two of our study, What Lies Ahead. As I said, this is an abbreviated version found here in Luke's Gospel of the Olivet Discourse. That amazing passage speaking of the last days intertwined with some history that would come upon the children of Israel in the very short term. And this is rather a primer for the book of Revelation, so... Uh, I didn't actually plan it that way, but it is definitely working out that way. As we look at these things that are here, uh, found in this amazing uh, 21st chapter, um, we come now to the 25th verse and we'll uh, finish up this morning uh, with the 38th verse in all of chapter 21. But what lies ahead, part two. Remember the Lord last Sunday gave us this vision that, The city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. And very specifically that the temple would be wiped off of the temple mount. And that is what would be in view just a short time later in AD 70. It remains to this day. And he's now going to go on and one of the reasons that we know that this passage of scripture is largely yet unfulfilled is that part A happened. What Jesus said happened, happened. It's done. The temple isn't on the Temple Mount. It's gone. No stone left on top of one another. If you go today, it's still missing. And then in this morning's passage, He gives us this incredible parable of the fig tree. And so we'll look at this passage. And before we do so, let's ask the Lord to speak by His Holy Spirit to us as the church. Father, we come this morning with grateful hearts. Lord, we look to you to speak to us as your children. God, we're grateful to live in these days and in this country. Lord, we are blessed beyond measure. We have so much. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now by the incredible power that authored the stars. Lord, that put the sun and the moon in its place. Lord, that fabricated us and everything that we see, all that we know. Lord, would you as Creator God come and create a space in our hearts for us to receive these words with gladness. We bless you, we praise you, we ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. So now we have these events leading up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so important for us to remember that the second coming and the rapture are not the same event. And there are wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ who would disagree with me this morning, that believe there is no rapture. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's you. Um, I will give my account and my reasonings for why I'm absolutely, utterly convinced that the church will not be here for the events that we know uh, as the tribulation. And it's important, I believe, for us to understand that in this passage. And so I'll draw attention to those things But my purpose this morning, is to stay true to the text. And this text is really speaking largely about the tribulation and largely about specifically the nation, the nation Israel. And so he says there in verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun, and signs in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And as we read this introductory passage to the Lord, now going to speak this parable of the fig tree, He's not giving all the detail that He gives in Matthew's Gospel, and certainly not all the detail found in the book of Revelation. But he's giving enough detail that we can then go, what is he speaking of? What is he talking about? And again, as I said, we'll cover this in great detail when we get to the book of Revelation, because a vast majority of the book of Revelation, from chapter 6 to chapter 19, includes this period of time. The period of time that is known as the tribulation, followed by the second coming of the Lord. And so, as we see these things, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we care? It doesn't matter to us. Because like it or not, believe it or not, the Lord Jesus is once again coming to this earth. He's coming a second time. He promised ultimately there in Romans 11, that he would save all Israel. Is that the case today? The answer is no. Is that, has it ever been the case in all of the Jewish history? The answer is no. They are largely to this day unbelievers in Messiah. And so they are not saved. And so God's plan is one day to reach national Israel with the truth of the gospel. And before he does that, times upon this earth are going to come that we have never seen before. And so Jesus is going to give us those signs. But I want you for reference to remember that these things were also prophesied and the reason for them in the book of Joel. And if you were with us when we studied the book of Joel, you'll remember that in specifically chapter 3, we're actually given the reason that the Lord is going to come back to this earth. And so as we look there, if you want to turn, you can, turn to Joel chapter 3. I want to first, while you're turning there, take you to Joel chapter 2. And in Joel chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain, let all of the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. And it's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. And it goes on to say, "...a fire devours before them, and a flame burns in them, and the land that is like the Garden of Eden before them, and they shall be a desolate wilderness, and surely nothing will escape." So it gives this incredible picture of a time in the life of national Israel that all hell is going to break loose on the earth. People don't like that. It doesn't seem consistent with the goals of the world's society. People don't like to hear these things. But they are nonetheless truth. God has a plan for Israel. And when you get to Joel chapter 3 and in verse 1, Behold, for in those days and at that time. Very important again to mark that. For in those days and at that time. When is that? When this all unfolds, when everything comes to fruition as God said it would one day happen. When I bring back, notice, the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. And then he goes on to give us this picture and say to us, to say to you, to say to me, to say to all of us this morning, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That valley is the valley of Megiddo. That is the valley of Armageddon. He says, I will bring all of the nations of the world to that valley, there in that place. And it is there that I will enter into judgment with them. And then he tells us why. On account of my people, my heritage Israel, unless you're here this morning and you are actually a person of Jewish descent, You are not of the nation Israel. You're of the church. You're grafted in, but you're not a Jew. Whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up, notice, my land, God's land. The Middle East, Every actually the earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's, but specifically He promised this land that the world now calls Palestine. It's his land. He gave it to Israel. And so he gives the reason that he's going to bring ultimately the nations of the world into judgment. Very important to understand this. They have cast lots for my people. Think about what Hitler did. Think about what the Arab nations of the earth are doing right now. Think of what Iran's motivation is for nuclear weapons. When you ponder what yet needs to happen and you understand what has already been said, you can hear the horses warming up in heaven. They have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Do you remember the horrors of Dachau and Auschwitz? 6.5 million Jewish people wiped out in less than three years. Their lives worth nothing. Brought in in cattle cars, in mass, in Auschwitz's case, herded into ovens. Thousands at a time, their bodies stacked like cordwood after they starved nearly to death and burned to ash. Then soldiers rifling through the ash for the fillings that were in their teeth or the rings on their fingers. God says that he will one day bring the nations of the world into judgment because of what was done to his people, Israel. Jesus is coming again. And God tells us why. So when you look at your world, what we will see when we gather together on New Year's Eve It is prophetically being spoken to us what's going on in Israel right now. Because the nations of the world, unfortunately, including our own, is poised to allow yet again Israel to go it alone against the world. Not a wise thing to do. That's where I praise God for the rapture of the church where believers will be taken home to heaven because when God unfolds this particular time in human history, it will be the worst day in the entire history of mankind's sojourn in the universe. And so these signs, when he comes back, he's coming back as the lion. Amen? Amen. He was here as the lamb. He left as the sinless lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. When he comes back, he's coming back as the lion. You know, many people to this day believe that the world, the universe, was created by the Big Bang. So when we read these things, some people go, well, ah, that's impossible. The moon, the you know, what's going to affect that? I don't intend to sit here and extrapolate on what I don't know, but I will tell you this. I believe Jesus Christ is creator God. And if he made the universe, I have no problem with him using the universe for his purposes, including causing problems with the moon, the earth, and the stars. And so when we see this, notice what it says these significant times. He says in those days, the last days, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, catastrophic upheavals. We just put uh, a satellite down on an asteroid, amen? We, We have launched space probes that are reaching the outer edges of our solar system even now. We realize that this little tiny planet called Earth is actually nothing but a moving target for all of the stuff that rumbles around our solar system. What happens if God takes His hand? Because Colossians chapter 1 says that all things, everything, all things in the entire universe are held together by the word of His power. What happens when our God says, Sun, move here. Star, move here. Planet, move here. I put you there, I'm moving you. We say, ah, oh, that can't happen. Really? It would take very little for God to use His created heavens to accomplish these things, which are simply stated here. Remember when He was born there in Matthew chapter 2. He put a new star in the sky. Remember when He died, He put out the sun. God is in complete control of His creation. The Lord can do anything He wishes. So before you quickly dismiss, well, that can't happen, it is the very reason that scientists today are probing the area around our planet, because at some point in time, most scientists believe, if they're non-Christians, that the dinosaurs were wiped out by an asteroid striking the Earth. So don't say these things can't happen because actually scientific theory as it rests today believes that not only do they happen, but they have happened, and they're used as part of the explanation for why things are as they are. So whether you look at it purely from a spiritual standpoint and say, God's God, he can do whatever he wants, or whether you look at it from a scientific standpoint, using the modern thinking that we have today, the net result is the same. A large asteroid strikes a planet. That planet changes its orbit. The orbit of that planet around the sun alters it. Our sun begins to spin uh, in a slightly different orbit. Before you know it, the utter chaos that's described here, just like that, ensues. So God easily can use these things to do what he says will happen. Notice what it says there, "...and upon the earth distress or distresses of nations." What's the world going through right now but distress of nations? Nobody gets along with it. When you have Sweden making a complaint, you know the world is a mess. The Swedish people don't mess with anybody, okay? Okay? They, they just don't. They're, they're like Switzerland in that regard. They just want to live in Sweden, and they don't want to have anybody tell them what to do, and they sure don't want fighter aircraft with their transponder turned off flying near their airliners. When Sweden starts to launch military patrols to try and find out where the s- Russian submarines are that are not supposed to be in their territorial waters, the world is a dangerous place. That, by the way, was two days ago. I'm giving you a little primer for what we're going to do on Wednesday night in a couple of weeks. The natural laws, the physical laws, the governmental situations that we currently see in our world. You see, as intelligent as, intelligent as Stephen Hawking is, uh, he's going to be gawking when this stuff happens. You know, he's going to look up and go, Oh, did not know that could happen. By the word of his power, read Colossians chapter 1. In him all things consist. You remove Creator God from all things, and everything's out of control, including the nations of the world. We were talking, Brandon and I were talking with Carlitos as we're driving around, the capital city of San Salvador, just going from place to place. and This is literally a country that's run by gangs, a whole country where the government is so corrupt that everybody pays protection money to somebody else. By the way, can I tell you, it's the same in Guatemala, it's the same in Nicaragua, uh, it, it's, it's the same in parts of Mexico, It's the same in the former Soviet Baltic republics, the Chechens. It is the same everywhere. The world's largest economy now belonging to China, not the United States of America, which is, by the way, a communist country. They're nice communists, but nonetheless communists. You have a goofy, crazy leader in Kim, Kim Jong Un That nutbag has nuclear weapons and he has a Taepodong 3 missile that can reach the United States very easily The nations of the world are not a friendly place When these things begin to happen the powers of heaven will be shaken People are going to flip out. And then we see Jesus. Notice how it continues on in verse 27. And then, and then, after these things, and very important that you get the timing, after these things, and then, they, those that are alive at that time. Notice he doesn't say you. He doesn't say we. He says, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Not Greg (laughs) Laurie. Though Greg will be in the crowd, he will not be prominent. And should the Lord take you home, should the rapture of the church happen today, these events, we will come back with him. Remember when Jesus went uh, home? He went in a cloud. His work on earth was done. There in Acts chapter one, uh, he came. He's going to come back in the clouds to get you and I. There in First Thessalonians four, he's going to come back yet again in Revelation chapter one. Uh, I believe the Lord Jesus loves clouds, but notice his comment. It's very clear. The Son of Man is coming back. When you look at Scripture, the term Son of Man, a title that is used almost exclusively for Jesus, is used almost 80 times in the New Testament. That Son of Man, the one who was the firstborn of all creation, the one who defeated death, the one who is fully man and fully God, is coming back. And as Jesus said these things, think about it. He's standing there in some homespun, burlap-looking peasant robe. And what he's really alluding to is, guys, I'm going to leave, but I'm coming back. There are a lot of Christians that don't believe Jesus is coming back. They think it's figurative. They think well it's you know, that's he just said that then because he, he wanted everybody to kind of settle into the idea that he was God. The first reference to him as the Son of Man in the New Testament was in his poverty. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. You know where the last reference is? Again, prepping you for the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Behold a cloud, and upon that cloud sat one who was like the Son of Man, having in his, on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Revelation says the Son of Man is coming back with a sickle to tread out the winepress of the wrath of God. You see, sometimes we look at the world and it seems like the bad guys are winning. Amen? I can tell you, when you can't buy fried chicken without an armed guard, it seems like the bad guys are winning. Seems like the bad guys are winning but the bad guys aren't going to win. The Lord has missed nothing, and he's coming again to square all these things away. And he's coming principally to bring the good news of the gospel to his nation Israel, to his people, to those whom he loves, to those whom he made a covenant. He said, you are my people, and I am your God, and I will redeem you, says the Lord. And so in order to emphasize that point now, verse 28 And he tells them a story. And now when these things begin to happen, and so he sets the time frame for us. He says, when you see the world coming unhinged, when you notice these astronomical events, when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Who's he talking to? He's talking primarily to Jews. And so, as he says these things, when you see these things, speaking of the nation Israel, he then explains to them why it is that he's talking about them in the parable that comes beginning in verse 29, and then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree. Matter of fact, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, look at all the trees. When they're already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. And so you also, when you see these things, so he goes from the analogy of the tree back to the things that he just spoke. You you know when you see the leaves on the trees in the summer? It's not quite harvest time yet, but it's close. When you see these things... As they're happening, know that the kingdom of God is near to the Jewish people. For assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Now, God has placed a holy comma in time. Daniel's 70th week, the age of grace. Directly before it, a final week we know as as the time of Jacob's trouble. He says, "For assuredly I say to you that this generation that looks up, this generation that sees these things come to pass, this generation that sees what's coming next, when that generation is on the scene, look up. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away." He says, "Look, this is uh, I created this. One day." Again, book of Revelation, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I can't wait, because this one's pretty messed up. Brandon and I are driving down the road, we're sitting in this van with our dear friend Dirk, and you're watching sewage, human waste run down the streets, and gang members standing on the sides waiting for somebody to come by that they can jack up for money. You're going, man, the Lord can't get here soon enough. Good news is, one day, this earth and everything in it is passing away, and He's going to make all things new. And we need it. To take heed for yourself, lest your hearts be weighted down. Now, you would think He would go on to say, with all this really heavy stuff. Lest your heart be weighted down with the thought that, oh, there could be war and stuff in the skies and things everywhere happening. I mean, I don't want you to be weighted down with that. But that isn't what he says. He doesn't say, well, you should be really afraid because the stars are going to move. And the heavens are going to shake. And wars are going to come. He says, but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, a party lifestyle, a me-first mentality, drunkenness, so consumed with escaping today that every day you go home and medicate yourself. Everything is about, have a beer with this, and a glass of wine with that, and... You know, let's have a cocktail party. Has anybody ever figured out why we have Christmas cocktail parties? Let's see, we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus by losing our minds. Think about it. He doesn't say, be very afraid of what's coming. He says, you better be very afraid of what's already here. Because what's already here is the reason everything's going to come. Notice the next one. Can I share a little concern that I have personally? One of the reasons I disdain Christmas as we celebrate it here in America is the cares of this life. It makes me nuts what people have done to Christmas. Not celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the most massive shopping period in the history of mankind. When people senselessly, mindlessly, idiotically go out and put themselves in debt so they can buy some trinkets to cram underneath the tree so that they can make somebody feel good about something that's going on in their life which will have absolutely zero purpose the day after you open those things up on Christmas morning. Now, if I just ruined your Christmas, I'm sorry. But last time I looked, Christmas is about Christ, amen? Not about whether your whole family gets iPads. Sorry, I just had to go there. I was just in El Salvador yesterday, okay? I'm watching little kids weave little Christmas ornaments out of weeds. God help us. The cares of this life. Those same little kids, they're moms and dads. And they get by because they have a very... Conscious societal issue there that mom stays home and dad works. And if you're a working person, you make between 8 and $10 a day, not an hour, a day. And the prices there are about the same as here. So you tell me, how has the world gotten carried away with the cares of life? You go to Starbucks and there's two of you, you spend more on those two cups of coffee than a typical Salvadorian makes in a workday. Our people in this country on welfare make more than everybody except for the very richest people in that nation. Heirs of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. You see, the focus was on the generation that was going to be alive that would see the world start to fall apart internally. That was a sign that the external things were right around the corner. It was not the other way around. It was economy. It was ecology. It was disasters. But most importantly... You got no heart left. So corrupt, so morally bankrupt, that the Lord finally says, This is it. And so he says, For it will come as a snare upon all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus speaks to us this morning and He says, Look, are you watching all the trees? All the trees is the rest of the trees. The tree, the fig tree, is national Israel. Matter of fact, that's one of the Lord's favorite pictures for Israel, the fig tree. He says, Look, do you remember where the fig tree first came into play? Everybody know the book of Genesis means the book of beginnings, amen? Does it kind of strike you that the covering of the sin was with a fig leaf? It began in the garden. man trying, trying to cover up. You see, on the way toward Jerusalem... Remember the Lord cursed the fig tree and he says, this thing isn't going to bud again until the fig tree budded again. Two thousand years of history of the world. On May 14th, 1948, the fig tree once again budded. Israel became a nation. It went back into the land, promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, at least some of it. It began once again to speak its own native tongue, Hebrew. It's budded. And Jesus said, now watch all the trees. Those ancient foes of Israel have been revived. And they are more vociferous than ever. I'm shocked. I am getting email after email after news report from Israel, daily reports. Those things used to come a few times a year. They now come multiple times a day. We're supposed to know that the kingdom of God is, is at hand when we see these things. And he says, this generation will not pass away that sees these think What things? The rebirth of the nation Israel. Now I want to give you a word of caution because I I don't want to be uh, setting a, a date for these final things because Scripture tells us not to. But as you're looking at the trees, when you see the rise of nationalism, you're close. When you see the nation Israel back in the land, you're really close. So when you see globalism and nationalism and the nation Israel back in the land, you better be looking up, for your redemption draws nigh. Scripture isn't clear how long a generation is. But I do know this. It's not very long. Matthew 24 says, of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels, but only the Father. But Jesus goes on in that passage to say, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the time of Lot, so it shall be when the Son of Man comes. What was Noah The hearts of man were continually evil. What was it in the times of Lot? Rampant homosexuality without regard for God. When you see Israel back in the land and you see the world become focused on self-gratification, when you see the nation Israel put to shame, know that the Son of Man is coming again. Now praise God, because we know that there's a little event that's tucked in there, that for us is probably the best news in the Bible. Amen? Called the rapture of the church. You see, because the date of the second coming is actually not a secret. Daniel tells us that it will be 1260 days after the Antichrist sets up his own image in the temple to be worshipped. Well, right now, the good news for all y'all is there ain't no temple on the Temple Mount. So we know that That can't happen yet. We also know that the Bible says that we're going to be snatched away by force one day as the church, that the Holy Spirit's influence will come off of this world, that the man of sin there in 2 Thessalonians 2 will be revealed, the man of perdition, his wickedness will then take root in this world, and ultimately that diabolical, absolutely universal way of life for all people, will take over the world. The Antichrist policies, you won't be able to buy, you won't be able to sell. You're going to either be in his policies or out of his policies. And I believe that the church at that point in time is gone. We're in heaven. A tribulation ensues. But there's a neat word that's used here, and it's translated carousing used with drunkenness. It is a medical term used by Dr. Luke, and it is exactly the same word that one would use to describe a hangover. The world will have a sin hangover, so filled with sin that it will be nauseated by its sin and hungover in sin. Now, I don't know how much worse it's going to get, But I know this, the answer to that is our superlative Savior. I know the answer to that is one day we're going to all be taken out of this place, and I want to be ready for that day. And so Jesus finishes this chapter, and he says, And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but by night he went out and stayed on the mount called Olivet. And then early in the morning... All the people came to hear him in the temple. As Dr. Luke ends this, basically Jesus says to him, when you see Israel back in the land, when you see people self-absorbed, self-satisfying, when you see nationalism become rampant around the world, know this, look up, because your Redeemer draws nigh. For the church, that means the trumpet of God. And we who are alive and remain will rise up to meet him in the air. He's not coming back to the earth at that time. Scripture is clear. We're meeting him in heaven at that time. We are gone. And then, the world will sink into a time unlike any other in the history of the world. The world for three and a half years under the rise of the Antichrist will be united. The Jews will be allowed to build their temple. There will be peace on earth, temporary peace. And then the Antichrist will ask that his image be set up in that temple in Jerusalem and worshipped, and then all hell will break loose on earth. And once that happens, three and a half years later, the Son of Man is coming back. And this time he's coming back to finish off sin. This time he's coming back so that all Israel might be saved. Those 144,000 witnesses will be roaming around the world. The two witnesses will have come and their bodies will have been resurrected and left outside in the street dead and they'll rise up and there's Moses and Elijah preaching Christ crucified and him alone for the remission of sin. That day's coming. As fantastic as it sounds, The reason Jesus told them this on this day was he was about to go be the Passover lamb. But when he comes back, he's coming back as the lion. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for, Lord, these encouraging passages, Lord, they encourage us to get busy about our faith. Lord, they cause us to desire to draw near to you as you draw near to us. And so Lord, we pray that you would work a great work in us. Lord, we are so grateful that we have advance warning. Lord, that you have purposed in your wonderful word, your perfect word, to let your people know what the world would look like in the very last days. And so God, we pray that you would make us ready. Lord, we pray that our tickets for heaven would be stamped and in our back pocket, for at any moment in time that trumpet could sound and we could rise up to meet you in the air. We're so grateful. But we also pray, Lord, that in our remaining days that you would cause us to be your witnesses here in Jerusalem, in our Judea and in our Samaria, Lord, to the uttermost parts of the earth, that we might go and make disciples of all men. We love You, we praise You, we bless You, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We just stand, let's praise our soon coming King, and then we'll ask Him to bless her offer.